0: Welcome to What The Bump, my name is Jen. And I'm Marianna. We are former labor and delivery nurses who felt called to step away from the bedside after having babies of our own to be full-time birth doulas.
1: Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and everything in between. Join us here every Wednesday for a new episode.
0: Welcome to another episode of What The Bump. Today, Mariana and I are recording a podcast. So we talked about this in, in one of the last podcasts that we did together. It's probably two, probably three podcasts back by now, maybe two or three, but doing more childbirth education, pregnancy education, labor education, all that. So today we are going to talk about sex postpartum. I know I've done a podcast on sex like during pregnancy, but we've not done one on sex postpartum. And I feel like that's something that, sometimes people just aren't really prepared for it, don't know what to expect, don't know what's normal, and it takes them by surprise. So um, we're going to talk about a couple things before then, but then we're going to dive into postpartum sex. Hi, (laughs) Mariana. Hey. Um, Okay. First things first, we wanted to do a little year-end recap. So if you guys follow us on Instagram, we also posted this our 2022 statistics. And honestly, we did not collect like tons of information from 2022. Um, we actually are going to do a lot more in 2023 like looking at, you know, the average hours of labors for our moms and different things, but 2022, we still collected a lot of good general information. So in case anybody's curious, um, I think this is pretty amazing. We attended 56 births in 2022, which is crazy because I did not even start in 2022 until February when I only took, I think, one client. When did you start really like
1: actually taking? uh, My first birth was in April and then I started taking clients in like January. So I wasn't really like hands on until um, April.
0: Okay, yeah, and then you weren't even full full time, truthfully, probably for another like two months.
1: Yeah, so I feel like the full time didn't happen until probably the summertime to the fall.
0: Yeah, so fifty six births is amazing for not even getting a full year reflection. Um, so yes, fifty six births. Our overall cesarean rate, and this is was hard to calculate, but our overall cesarean rate was about ten percent. And I got that cesarean rate by Basically, not including planned cesareans. It's so hard when you get into cesarean rates because, you know, if I included like people who were breech or people who, you know, we had a client who chose an elective cesarean. Um, We also had a client who had a placental abruption. You know, so I kind of excluded those like planned, no choice cesareans because I feel like that doesn't reflect on the services that we provide in those cases. So overall, cesarean rates outside of planned cesareans is ten percent. Um, We did have six planned cesarean births. So those were births that we attended, probably almost always breech. I think we had two that were planned cesareans for severe prematurity and um, uh, like preeclampsia. And the moms just kind of electively chose that with their providers. We had a 100% VBAC success rate, which is probably the statistic that we are most happy about. Honestly, I didn't look at how many moms we had VBAC, but we had a handful of VBACs. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody, I think most of them were all, most of them for the most part were most on medicated too. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then, so I said overall cesarean, it was 10%. Our cesarean rate for overall cesarean rate with women who were not induced was 5%. So I thought that was really interesting. It was actually less than 5%. I think it was like somewhere around four to 5%. So awesome. It kind of cuts that cesarean rate in half when you are not induced at least that's what our Mm -hmm. rates show. And then we had about a 20 to 21% induction rate. So about 20% of our clients were induced 20 to 21. Um, Almost all medical reasons, except for one, we had one elective induction that of course, tried to talk everybody out of inductions. Um, But we had one elective induction, the other 20 um, were, or the other 21%, I guess, were medical recent inductions.
1: Anything to add to our stats for the year? No. I'm um, just I just still can't believe it was fifty-six families. That's amazing. I'm excited for how many more we're gonna reach this year. I know I have like a hiatus
0: of three months of maternity leave and I'm like, it's gonna hurt our overall birth rates. <laughs> No, it's going to be great. I'm super excited for your birth too. It's going to be really well, beautiful. Yeah. We can include that in our birth rates, can we not? Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of cheating, but. Um, and then December. Oh my gosh, did we end the year with a bang? We had eleven births in December, which is crazy. Between me and Mariana, so more than
1: ten percent
0: of our year. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, easily. It was crazy. Mariana thought she was done after her. Like, gosh, what did you have three or four yourself? And you're like, I'm done for the year. Yeah. I was like, yeah, girl. December,
1: after my December clients delivered, I was like, all right, it's just prenatals. And then you're like, what are you talking about? You realize I like have a bunch of people that are going to be in labor. And then I had a January mom go early. So and you attended yeah, you two for know, me, right? You never really know when babies are going to come. But it was nice. It was wishful thinking. But I-, I loved being able to go. Sometimes I don't like having like a huge break because it kind of I don't know, it's boring.
0: Yeah. And it kind of gets you out of the rut. Like if I don't get a midnight call for a long time and then I get one, I'm like, ooh, that hurt a little bit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yes, that was amazing. 11 births in December. Also, half my January schedule wanted to have some early babies too. So that is why we stacked it up. We do never intentionally take 11 clients. Um, we each take four a month. But December got a little bit crazy um let's see recapping any births from this week did you didn't you have somebody in labor right now otherwise you don't have births necessarily
1: i had um i had one person she was a multip uh second time mom on the weekend <clears throat> this okay. past weekend that happened um it was it was a beautiful birth um I can't say anything other than we had an awesome doctor who let her push in like hands and knees. And that's honestly, and we talked about it. I think that's like the first doctor that well, we know. Well, deliver, of. not
0: push in hands delivered. and knees.
1: Deliver. Sorry, um, what Gave did birth. I say? Gave birth. I'm sorry. P- pushed um, in hands and knees. She allowed her to like deliver, um, in that way. But, um, yeah, it was beautiful. I was so happy for her. Um, yeah, it was one of my favorite births to be a part of. I keep on saying that, but um, they just get better. <laughs> you know? I feel like as you get more in your rhythm as a doula too, like, I don't know. They just get funner and funner. I
0: literally kind of forgot about that birth. I was like, what is she talking about when you started talking? Because it was so fast. Like your client had her baby so quickly that it totally yeah. escaped my mind that you were even at a birth.
1: Well, it's because for she had gone, we had planned for her to go a little bit earlier because her last one was pretty fast. And, you know, she's got a one year old. So she wanted to make sure that, you know, he was taken care of. She wanted to make sure that she was where she needed to be in the event that things sped up. So it went, I mean, it ended up being about like 12 hours by the time the baby was born. But yes, by the time, by the time she really needed me and she, you know, started to like really start to work hard and she wasn't coping well. Um, I was probably only with her for a couple handful of hours. So that's why it was like super fast, but I was texting and on the phone with her all night. Well, of course you were. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, awesome. And then I had two, almost three, two births this past week, both great. Also, um, one of them a little bit longer than we had hoped for, but honestly, they were both beautiful. Um, they were at different hospitals on the same day. So Marianna attended half of one for me. And that's always hard when that happens. Cause that's kind of, you know, with one of my clients overnight, she labored, she had an epidural, um, which she loved and was very happy with, had a beautiful delivery team, a beautiful birth. Um, I think she pushed for maybe an hour. No, I think two hours maybe. Um, but she did great. She could not have been She's like, it's just the cutest and sweetest person. So everybody who came in the room just loved her. And it was it was really a beautiful birth. Um, and then I got to run over to my other client. I was very, very tired by the end of it all, but all worth it. Um, and I went home and I think I slept for like two days straight.
1: <laughs> I know. And you're still going to be like making up for it for a little bit. We have a little bit of a break coming up after we've got a couple people that need to deliver. Yeah, that's what we think though. <laughs> <You're right.
0: laughs> Uh okay, next up we I posted a question box on my Instagram. Oh gosh, probably like two weeks ago by now, if not more. But we thought it would be fun to kind of add a couple questions at the start of each podcast. So if you guys have questions, you can message us on Instagram. You can I'll put up, you know, question box every once in a while, but we're gonna pull some questions off of them and answer them on the podcast. Reason being, we get a lot of DMs and a lot of questions that are asked to us. And instead of kind of repeating ourselves and, and giving people, we hate giving individualized, you know, it's not even medical advice, but just individualized answers because we don't know the story. We're not hired by, you know, people who DM us sometimes. So anyways, we thought it'd be a little bit better to be able to give more general education information by answering your questions on the podcast. So if you have a question, DM us. Um, but we have what one, three questions that we're going to go over. The first one, um, I got a message that says, hi, I have a question since having COVID during pregnancy, my OBs are requiring growth scans every four weeks during the third trimester. Do these scans cause issues for the baby? I'm worried that I should spread them out or decline them. Mariana, do you want to answer what you would kind of say first or do you want me to go first?
1: Four weeks during the third trimester, that's pretty frequent, but I I will just add this and that's just my personal experience. When I was a labor and delivery nurse, I used to ultrasound myself at least like once a week when I went to work. So I I don't know, they say like that it's more of the temperature, the thermal part of it that, you know, isn't the greatest to continually expose your baby to. Um, I just didn't know that that was like a thing related to COVID and how frequent. Um, I, I don't love ultrasounds in the third trimester either. So I'm just surprised by it, honestly. Yeah, I agree. You know, that the thermo heat, it's not
0: radiation technically with an ultrasound, but, you know, it still is imaging in a way. So, of course, those scans are always going to have some type of risks. If you go on Google, research it, look it up, it's going to tell you that they're harmless. And they are harmless to have, you know, a couple ultrasounds in your pregnancy. Um, But every four weeks throughout your pregnancy is, is obviously more ultrasounds than normal. Um, there's not evidence necessarily that ultrasounds cause issues or do harm your baby there. There's not evidence proving that. And the other thing about it is like Marianna mentioned, I could almost bet you that 95% of our clients have had COVID while pregnant. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, we work with women for sometimes usually eight, seven to eight months. Um, Mm -hmm. and over the past year, I bet every single one of them almost has had COVID at some point. I can't tell you how many times clients have texted me with COVID and I've never once heard of them doing ultrasounds every four weeks. That's our personal experience. Our clients do not get ultrasounds every four weeks after having COVID while pregnant. Um, So I don't know where you live. I don't know if that's the standard there. I do not know about COVID stunting a baby's growth truly, but like I said, I would say 95% of our clients have had COVID at some point and or while they were pregnant and I hadn't noticed a decreased size in babies and I haven't heard of this either. So again, not sure exactly there, but not a practice I've seen or heard of literally
1: until I got this message. Four weeks seems a little bit frequent for me. I mean, maybe one, but what? why every four weeks? What's gonna Especially change? Especially if everything looks good. My advice to you would be non
0: medical advice, by the way, <laughs> would be for you to talk to your doctor. And if everything is looking picture perfect and normal with your baby, skip the next one. And, and then you're maybe measuring even the fine, next one. You know, maybe yeah, fine baby's fine. moving good. There's so much more to tell you information than an ultrasound. So much more. You can even do an NST. That might, you know, be a little bit better than doing a full blown ultrasound, which is a non-stress test where they put baby on the monitor. So definitely um, ways that you could space them
1: out or downright decline them if you felt comfortable with that too. And they get less and less accurate as the time goes by. So absolutely. I mean. <laughs> I hold very little weight to third trimester ultrasounds. And I feel like sometimes they cause more stress and panic and anxiety than good. For sure. And that's next question. How do you help
0: prevent stretch marks? I know sometimes it's inevitable. Yes, it's normally unpreventable in many, many ways. (laughs) Um, Most of stretch marks forming are pure genetics. There's not too much you can do. Use a, um, what's that bio oil is one that I used while I was pregnant that I know people liked any type of oil on your belly, coconut oil that can always help. But from my experience, it's kind of something that's genetic. You can lather yourself and drench yourself in oil every day. And you might still get a lot of stretch marks if that's just in your genetics. Yep. I would agree to that too. Okay, perfect. Next and last question. Um, This person asked, are all dates created equal or are some better than others? And when she's asking about dates, she's talking about the dates that um, we tell you to eat at the end of pregnancy. So not like a date with your husband. Um, (laughs) Are all dates created equal or are some better? Do you want to answer this?
1: Yeah. So the research was done with medjool dates. Um, and so just the quick evidence-based research is just ha- dates have a estrogen influence with your hormones. So they do have the potential to help with cervical ripening. So for those who consume dates in late pregnancy, um, around 36 to 37 weeks, if they consume 60 to 80 grams per day, you do have to weigh it on a scale. Um, they were found to be more dilated than those who did not consume them, more likely to have their water intact and less Likely to need an induction or need oxytocin during labor. Um, So the study was done with medjool dates. I would say if you're getting any sort of dates, that's great. Um, Weigh them and take them. And if they do help, great. It's kind of like a no harm, no foul. As long as you don't have uh, gestational diabetes, you should be good to consume them. Um, Look up some date recipes, but I would say stick to the medjool
0: ones. Yeah, I think that most of them, honestly, that you're going to find are Medjool dates. Um, To be honest with you, I don't even know what the other kinds are. But I will say I've seen dates, you know, I bought them from Costco and they were huge, 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 like they looked jumbo dates. And then I bought them from Harris Teeter and they were teeny tiny dates. And I don't think any of that makes any difference. As long as you're just eating the dates, um... It, you know the size, even the type. Honestly, probably does not matter too much. Um, But like Marion said, if you you know want to want to stick to what the evidence kind of used. Oh yeah, I just googled it. There's also deglet nor. Those are kind of like the more dry ones, I think. Mm, but yeah. Either way, yeah, I would go ahead and just do medjool. Honestly, the medjool ones taste way better than the others anyway. And you're going to be eating so many of these, you're going to want to never look at them again anyways. So eat the ones that taste better and that the research used. Okay. So we are going to dive into postpartum sex. I will let you start, Mariana, just kind of leading into this. Tell us a little bit about postpartum sex, what the standards are. um, And then the main thing, honestly, that we're going to talk about through this podcast is the barriers and the things that can come up when it comes to postpartum sex.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think most women postpartum, the thought of sex is like the farthest thing from their mind. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I felt that way too. And you know, your doctor tells you like at least six weeks and I'm like, who the heck is ready sooner than that? I mean, you've just gone through so much. Um, and I feel like it had to be a man who came up with the six week postpartum thing. Oh, I had um, sex way
0: before six weeks. Really?
1: Oh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're lying. Are you serious? No. Yeah. You didn't know that? Oh my gosh. I went back for my
0: six weeks appointment and my midwife was like, you know, yeah, you're good to go. And I was like, Oh girl, I've been good to go.
1: Oh no. I will, I will say This is why I'm pregnant. In, I was in no way good to go. I could still see my suture there. I still had um a lot of discomfort and I actually still have discomfort. Um so no, I wasn't ready, but that's something, you know, you take your time with it. But so generally, personal. Yeah, generally your protect- practitioner will likely advise you to wait at least 6 weeks postpartum before resuming sexual activity. This is for many reasons, one being that most postpartum complications arise in those first few weeks. Um so like any retained or um placenta or membranes could kind of be in there, some bleeding. Um yeah, I just I'm just astonished and that you did it before 6 weeks, but <laughs> um, you also have a dinner plate size wound that forms a scab for lack of a better word for your placenta, you know, where your placenta was adhered to your uterus. So Um, but Hey, if you're ready to go at six weeks, good for you. I, however, was not, I tried again at like nine weeks and then three months. And I would still have a lot. I think I just have a tight band. I know I have a tight band of tissue there. So that kind of makes it, um, a little bit, um, uncomfortable for me. I ended up going to see a postpartum or a pelvic floor therapist postpartum. and, And that was helpful, but um, do you want to talk about some of the barriers or I can jump yes. into that? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do the me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I'll, I can do the first one. We can just be, go every other. Um, so biggest barrier like Mariana kind of just mentioned is pain with sex. I would say that that is the, one of the biggest reasons why women don't feel ready at six weeks. And this varies for everybody. You might feel ready at four or five, um, or you might not feel ready till three months. So I'm, by the way, when I said that I, you know, did not follow that rule, I'm not advising you to do that. Um, it's not even that I felt ready. Um, I just, I felt fine. So biggest barrier is pain with sex. This is normal. This is also common. Just in the beginning, it is not normal and common to be three months postpartum, and still experiencing severe pain with sex. That's where, like Mariana said, a lot of times you can have a tight band of tissue. A lot of it's from that scarring from sutures and how they come together and how that scar tissue forms um, that, you know, you kind of have to do some work with. And that's where a pelvic floor PT is going to be a huge, huge help. But Early postpartum, those first couple of times, it's going to be a little bit painful, a little bit sore, and just kind of different. So a lot of that pain is just from the trauma of, you know, pushing a baby out and just from all those tissues being different, also being desensitized. You know, you haven't had sex in so long that when you go back to doing it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. The, the, The skin heals differently where the sutures were laying. It just might feel a little bit weird. Another reason why a lot of women experience pain with sex is that you have very low estrogen postpartum and low estrogen will affect the elasticity of the tissue in the vagina. It will also affect, you know, moisturization of things in the vagina. Your estrogen drops after giving birth. And especially if you are breastfeeding, it is going to remain very, very low. Reason being your prolactin and oxytocin are very high when you breastfeed. So that makes your estrogen lower. It kind of honestly mimics menopause. Um, And I hate to say that, but it's really true. Some breastfeeding women postpartum feel almost like they're in menopause. You have low libido, no sex drives. You know, you um, get the hot flashes, the night sweats, pain, vaginal dryness, all that stuff. I used to wake up in like puddles of sweat postpartum. And it, it really kind of, you know, puts you into a menopausal state in a way And that is also nature's way of preventing you from getting pregnant. Birth control or breastfeeding is not birth control, but when you are breastfeeding, your body is trying to prevent a pregnancy, which is why it does kind of give you that low estrogen state and um, like I said, kind of put you into menopause. So pain with sex is absolutely normal the first couple of times. We'll we'll tell you some tips and and tricks uh, at the end of this to kind of help with some of these common barriers, but pain with sex.
1: Yes, um, low libido you touched on, uh, which is low sex drive. Um, I think there's just a combination of factors in this. I mean, you just experienced a huge dramatic life shift between you and your partner. Um, you have this newborn baby and you're probably exhausted. You're not sleeping very much. So, I mean, sex is just not even a priority and do not feel bad about it. I know for a while I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, well, it, I wasn't really thinking about sex postpartum, but there was a time where, yeah, when I wanted to connect with my partner, with my husband again, I was like, will we ever find time to have sex? Or like, will I ever want to have sex with my husband again? I was just like, I would choose sleep over sex any day. Um, And, you know, sometimes, you know, you might be doing the night shift, they might be, you know, sleeping or napping. So, I mean, I would say exhaustion and stress definitely is going to decrease your sex drive. And that's totally normal. It will pass, it will get better. Um, uh, Breastfeeding also releases oxytocin, which is a hormone that triggers good feelings towards your baby, but it also suppresses your libido. Um, And you talked about that. So it's, it's nature's way of keeping your sex drive low to prevent another pregnancy too soon. Um, so don't feel bad if you have a low libido, you've got hormones shifting, lots going on. So um, it's totally normal, you'll get your groove back.
0: <laughs> All right, next barrier we have um it's just hard to time find to connect with your newborn. And a lot of this or er, time to connect with your partner because of your newborn, a lot of these literally just kind of tie into each other, just like Marianna talked about exhaustion causing a low libido. It also can be hard to find that time to be with your partner when you have a newborn. Sometimes, like Miranda just said, you're taking shifts. Um, Everything revolves around the baby or even trying to get some rest. So sex is just on the back burner. It's just kind of how it is. And honestly, I will say as women, I feel like it's easier for us as women and as mothers to be like, oh, sex on the back burner. And it's harder for our husbands, truthfully. Um, That can be one of the, the hardest part is still trying to find ways to connect when, you know, you feel your libido is low, but he didn't have those hormonal shifts. He didn't just give birth to a baby. He didn't have the body changes that you did. So try mm-hmm. to find different ways to connect, different times to connect. And another thing that, you know, as far as hard time connecting with your partner, you may feel resentment towards them because like I said, he didn't have that hormonal shift. He might be sleeping a little bit more than you because you're up breastfeeding. You're, you feel like you're the one taking care mostly of the baby. And it can be, you know, frustrating, but it's also normal. So, you just kind of have to, you know, try to find that time when you can, but also have grace with yourself because as your baby gets older, you do have more time on your hands. They do get a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, look for those little nuggets of time that your baby, you can put your baby down. I know, you know, my son was super clingy and I was like, gosh, am I ever going to have time to put him down to even like sneak away? You know what I mean? Um, So again, something like that, it passes, it goes by um, and it's totally normal. Um, And I remember feeling a lot of that resentment, like you're sleeping, like I wish I could go to work. I mean, remember when we used to talk about this, like, man, I would go to work in a heartbeat if I didn't have to be as sleep deprived as I was. So, um, you know, it's important to kind of like work through that resentment and just know that like you are the best thing for your baby right now. And, you know, husbands and dads, they're great, but nobody is going to comfort and be there for your baby like you are. So, you know, it's just, it's just the roles. And I had to say like gender roles, but I mean, it is. And, um, I guess, you know, you think about it, men probably envy us a little bit because we're able to really soothe and comfort our babies. So there is a trade-off. They're like, man, she fixes everything. I can't do it like she does. So try to think of it from your partner's perspective. I think sometimes husbands kind of feel like, where's my role in all of this? Yeah, I do sleep. I feel like I'm doing nothing. Um, So though it's normal to feel resentment towards your partner, think about maybe some ways that he wish he could like maybe really comfort your baby and be more helpful, um, it's just a season and, um, it's just a change and shift in that relationship. Um, the other thing would be, um, being touched out. I 100% felt this way. Um, it's the fourth trimester for a reason. So those first three months, like, you're giving all your emotions and your whole body to your baby, especially if you're breastfeeding, If even if you're not breastfeeding. I mean, more, most likely you're holding that baby, rocking that baby, shushing that baby. Your baby just needs you so much. Um, so having a clingy baby, like I said, it's hard to put them down. Um, they're just always fussy, And it's normal to feel like you just don't have any more love to give anybody else. And I definitely could relate to that. I was like, I want to think about me right now and me wants like a good meal and a good nap. I don't want to have to think mm-hmm. about loving on another person. Um, and this I feel like I still struggle with being touched out about is like when you do breast breastfeed, like your breasts feel so much less sexual um, you know, when you are breastfeeding and it's almost like you have like this desensitization, but also a hypersensitization of like your nipples and your breasts. So like you almost feel like, please don't touch my boobs. I honestly still feel that way. And I'm really trying to work through that. And I stopped my pumping journey like five or six months ago. So I don't know why I feel that way. I feel like my, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's a mental thing. Um, but when you have a baby that's always attached to them and always fussy and wanting them, um, it can kind of be really hard to really disconnect your breast as something that is for food and for comfort and for your baby, than to something that is like for your husband. Um, so I don't know. What do you? How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah. I'm- I just think that whether you're nursing or not, um, whether your baby is fussy or not, all babies are clingy to some extent. And I don't, I wouldn't even use the word clingy necessarily. It's just that they need you. It's normal. You know, I know you posted this on social media the other day. You said um, they're in for nine months and then they're on for nine months. And I loved that because people think that they're like in for nine months and then like next to you in the bassinet for nine months. Um, No, they are in for nine months. And then they are on your chest in some type of way for nine months. Breastfeeding or not, you know, they just are, they want you, they want your warmth, your touch, your skin. And when you're going through that and you have a baby on you all the time, it is beautiful. It's a wonderful, amazing season. It's, it's just, I can't wait to go back into it truthfully. Um, But then when it comes to, you know, having sex with your partner, it is hard because you've been touching this baby all day and you've been, you know, breastfeeding or not pumping or not, even your breasts just, your whole body just changes and and it can be hard to then go and want to have your husband touch you in any type of way. Even like sometimes like hugging or snuggling. I was like, I just snuggled a baby for 10 hours straight. Like I just Mm -hmm. don't want anyone to touch me at all. So it is also normal. And again, a season that will
1: definitely pass. I mean, I can definitely agree with you there because I miss those snuggles. I know they felt like forever, but I'm like, now our kids want nothing to do with us, you know. You'll They're miss just it. Everything. You have to enjoy it. Yes. So yes. I, I tell every mom who, you know, is in that season of like, gosh, I can't put my baby down. Like just, I know it feels like forever. It's going to pass and just enjoy it. Yes.
0: Tying kind of into that being too touched out is insecurity. Many women struggle having sex postpartum because they just feel insecure. You don't feel sexy. You don't feel attractive. You feel thrown off by your postpartum body and the changes that kind of come with that. Again, I think that this is pretty normal to have some of this insecurity to just feel different in a way. And again, it gets better. It's a season. It takes time. But Sometimes you just feel insecure, you know, especially if you have a vaginal birth and you have certain tearing down there. Many women, I mean, I know for me, like I was nervous about that the first time because I didn't know what it looked like down there and I hadn't hadn't seen it in a long time. Um, So that also can be normal to have that insecurity about your body, your breasts, your, you know, whole postpartum body.
1: Yeah. Um, And then there's just the psychological part of sex. Um, You know, some women... um, having baby blues, maybe some postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, birth trauma. I mean, when you have a baby, everything, your whole world just kind of collides in this way that there's just so many big shifts that, you know, usually when we're going through our lives, you have a shift, maybe something happens in your life and you have some time to like adapt to it. But like motherhood or parenthood is just like this colliding of worlds and it's such a beautiful thing but it it can be a lot to process you know you have birth birth is intense and then you're given this baby who depends on you for absolutely everything who is always fussing that can't speak your language and you're trying to get to know each other because yeah you've grown them for nine months but there's just a lot that you guys have to learn about each other so I feel like That is just a perfect storm for maybe even if you do struggle with some sort of anxiety or depression, like, um, like outside of postpartum. I mean, it's, it's a perfect storm. So I always say like, I remember writing on my phone, I think I do struggle with, you know, some blues and some anxiety. So I would write down some things that I know will help me cope positively. Like I just know getting out of the house, getting together with someone. Um, doing something that would put me into a better mental space. And, and that does not substitute like seeking professional help. Um, that's in supplement of it. Um, but it's super, super important um, just to kind of assess like there is a psychological part of sex and maybe just kind of unpacking that with somebody. Um, if you are struggling with postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and birth trauma. I mean, a lot of it is you know, related to exhaustion and just this huge life event and shift. So don't ever feel scared or, you know, I know there's a huge stigma for seeking help with like a therapist and a medical professional, super important to get that. Um, And if you need to be on medications for a little bit, that's okay too. Some people are on it, you know, indefinitely, and then some people just kind of need it um, during that
0: time. All right, now we are going to give you some Tips for postpartum sex. Again, a few of these we've kind of tied in, but actually, probably a lot of them. <laughs> Take time, talk to your partner about what feels good, what does not feel good, be real, be honest, and just express how you're feeling and any kind of insecurities that you have surrounding it. Use lots of lube. And I mean this that tissue is just sensitive. It is, you know, like Mariana said, desensitized, but oversensitized. So Use a lot of lube. That just makes everything easier, especially because, you know, a lot of things just change in the vagina after you have a baby. Even if you have a C-section, it's just different. So you are drier too. Use a lot of lube. Um, discuss, this kind of the first one, discuss any anxiety you have surrounding the pain with any sex, any lack of confidence, desire, and, you know, expect your partner to be understanding of this. Expect that sex sometimes may just not feel the exact same as it did before. It might just feel a little bit different and that is also okay. Sex may also be less spontaneous and more planned. So I know we said like, look for those little nuggets of time to spend time together, whether it be sex or not, but you really do, you know, you have to plan things out more like, hey, today at nap time, we're going to spend this time together or after baby goes down for the night or whatever it may be. Um, you know, you you have to kind of plan it out. And sometimes you can take that anticipation and make it more fun and playful. But Mariana definitely wrote, <laughs> I'm reading off of it. We have like a rough draft for every podcast and she put on here, quickies will be your best friend. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they will be because
1: babies sometimes don't sleep long. So they
0: will mm-hmm. be.
1: Um, you want to run through the last couple? Yeah, I will just like touch on quickies. Um, I feel like with in addition to the quickies, I mean, completely appropriate, but in addition to the quickies, I feel like after you have a baby and you have sex and you experience all these changes with your partner, I feel like you're more um in tune to like what makes you feel good. So that you're like, hey, we only have a short amount of time. So let's do this. And I feel like, and not to say that it's an exchange, but you do want to give to your partner. But I feel like, After you have a baby and you go through everything, you can really tell your partner what you want. Like you're kind of, you can speak up a little bit more. Um, And listen, we have a quick, we only have 15 minutes. So this is maybe what I want. Let's get to the, you know, let's not make this a forever thing. So I feel like if anything, it gives you a little bit more confidence to really tell your partner what you like, how you like it um, and use that time optimally. But that's my um, touch point on quickies, but it's a great thing um, you'll be a professional, um, seek a pelvic floor therapist. Um, I had never heard of pelvic floor therapy until I was pregnant. Um, Jen and I both saw a pelvic floor therapist. Um, I will admit, I, I really don't do the exercises that I'm supposed to do. Um, it's just, you know, it's not exactly something I'm carving into my day. Um, but that's super important. Um, I was at least able to kind of really understand like the changes within my body and, um, some reasonings why I might be having some pain. Um, so that's super important. And just overall, I think it's important, um, to see a pelvic floor therapist, despite like for sexual reasons. Um, and you know, you might have to seek, I I mentioned this before, you might have to seek a mental health therapist around anxiety, um, related to sex. And that's totally fine. Um, you know, talk to your friends about it if you feel comfortable, Um, anyone close to you that you can really open up with about it and your partner, especially, I feel like they would be super understanding of something like that. Um, Connect with your partner in a non-sexual way to build up more intimacy. So, you know, start with like, you know, maybe rubbing each other's back, back of the neck, kissing more, like more so playful touch um, in a loving way. I feel like that is a lot better than just kind of jumping into it because it can kind of be a lot, um, especially postpartum and then work your way up to post delivery sex when you're ready. I mean, it doesn't have to be an all in thing. Um, and you can let your you know, partner know that, um, this is my favorite thing. I like to do something that makes me feel sexy. Um, and so sometimes that looks like, Hey, shaving my legs, that makes me feel sexy doing my hair. Um, Ordering some lingerie, listen to some music that kind of puts you in a good mood. Um, I feel like that kind of really helps me. Um, and the last one, just be like, just don't stress. Like, don't make sex feel like a chore. Um, I know sometimes, you know, it, it can feel like it, but it really should be the cherry on top, the way that you connect with your partner. You will sleep again. You will find that time with your partner. It just, it, it comes in a different priority, and that's okay. Um the first year is just full of so many dynamic changes in your relationship and it feels scary. And honestly, I encourage everybody to like seek marriage counseling, like, you know, or at least do like kind of like touch ins and touch base with like the pulse of your relationship. Like, I feel like it's very easy to miss each other when you're focused on either going back to work or just caring for this baby. It's super important that you're finding time to connect with your partner and it doesn't have to be anything expensive or elaborate. It could literally be you order takeout in and you just kind of, you know, I know men aren't the greatest at talking about their feelings, but I feel like sometimes women, you know, we can um, do a better job at kind of maybe um, just You know, opening up with them and sharing things and like explaining to them, like, I want to connect with you, but you know, maybe these are some things that you can help me with so that we can connect better. So I know that might be a whole other segue of other marital things, but um, just know that it does get better over time. It's normal for your relationship to kind of have this huge shift But it it, it will, it might never be the same like it used to be, but I feel like it it does. If you allow it to, it does become much richer and just so much more special. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I always say to my husband, like, thank you so much for the greatest gift you've ever given me. Like, we made this person together and it makes me want to connect with him more too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I totally agree. Um I don't really have anything to add. I mean that is everything with postpartum sex. Everybody experiences it so differently. Everybody has different hurdles, different things that they struggle with. Some people Are ready sooner. Some people are ready way later. Um, It is really just individual. So, you know, take it as you go. Talk with, I think, talking with your partner is my biggest thing. Like, talk, be honest, be vulnerable, be transparent, take it slow, use lube. (laughs) That's my um, wrap up.
1: That's like like your number one thing. Like, use lots of lube. And then I remember you telling me this last year. um, You were like, it's going to take at least like 10 times. Yeah. 10 times is a lot. It's going to take a lot of times. For it to get, you have to ease your way into it. Mentally and physically, you need to ease back into it. So don't get
0: discouraged if you're like, wow, I've done this two or three times, taken it nice and slow, used all these tips and tricks, and it still doesn't feel good. Um, That is also normal. I'm not saying to push your body. If it hurts, don't. Um, But, you know, sometimes it can just take a couple times to really get you emotionally, physically, mentally back in the groove. And that's okay
1: they um i know another option um and they sometimes if you're not breastfeeding or if you're okay if your milk supply drops sometimes they can give you like an estrogen cream for like if you do have that tight band of tissue um but of course you wouldn't want to do it if you are breastfeeding because it can drop your um, milk supply but um yeah i mean i feel like lube and just patience um would be my greatest advice yes
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us on another episode where we talked all about sex. Um, Like I said, if you guys have any questions you want to submit, you can email us, hello at whatthebumpclt.com. You can DM us on Instagram at whatthebumpclt. And we're going to answer some questions on the podcast every time we record. But thank you for being here, Mariana. Thank you guys for listening. And if you have any other questions, advice, tips, send them our way always. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at whatthebumpclt. Check out our website, whatthebumpclt.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.